Thank you for tuning in to the East Denali Baptist Church podcast, where you will hear messages that are challenging to you in your walk with Jesus every week. We update our podcast weekly with new messages from Dr. Richard Sego. And now, Dr. Richard Sego. Well, again, praise the Lord, and what a wonderful time around the throne this morning. Amen. Thanks to our worship team for all that you do to make these kind of mornings so glorious and so special. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to 2 Kings chapter 7, if you would. 2 Kings chapter number 7. And um, as you are doing that, let me um, just let you know what I'm going to be starting next Sunday. I'm going to start just a four-part series entitled In Defense of Jesus. And it's really an apologetics approach between now and Easter where I attempt to answer four critical questions. So I'm hoping that you're going to be here for all four Sundays. It'll culminate on Sunday as we consider the question, is Jesus really alive? So um, it's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to it. So I trust you'll be here these next several Sundays. The only Sunday I won't be preaching on that will be our 200-year celebration. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 7 this morning. And I want you to write down four words. Now, you can write them down literally. You can write them down in the, in the recesses of your memory. Here they are. No one left behind. No one left behind. That is the universal creed shared by every firefighter, policeman, soldier, and law enforcement person in America. Whenever they go out on a mission to fight fire or fight crime or to fire on the enemy of our nation, they are determined that every person that goes out on that mission returns uh, from that mission. There will be no one left behind. I don't know where this motto originated, but it could have been from the story that we're going to be studying today. We see where it is essentially the creed of four lepers that we discover who are central characters in the part of the story that we'll be looking at. And as we prepare to read this story this morning, I have a question for you to go ahead and start considering. Here it is. When you go to heaven, how many are you willing to leave behind? And in in that, I'm introducing this morning a little emphasis that we're going to be embracing for the course of the next year entitled, Who's Your One?, This is a brand new emphasis by our North American Mission Board with the whole idea behind it being each of us being challenged to write down, commit to pray for, build relationship with, and ultimately share the gospel with at least one person that we're trying to reach for the kingdom in the course of this next year. Now look, I think one is a very modest goal. In fact, I'm almost embarrassed just to say one, amen? How about we just say, who's your one now? Win them to the Lord, and then who's your next one? But be thinking about already, who is going to be your one? I'm only two, not even quite two weeks in town yet, so I don't have one, but I'm looking for one. Now, I've probably invited two dozen people to church already, just very very quick interactions at the restaurant or at the Walmart, checkout register or whatever, but I'm looking to build a relationship with somebody, discover somebody that's either unchurched or, or needs the Lord, and I want to attempt to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm challenging you to do the same thing. When you think of someone far from God, 
Who is the first person who comes to mind? Is it a neighbor? Is it a co-worker, a parent? No matter who it is, God can use you to reach them. Who's your one? Imagine if every member of our church could answer that question with uh, the name of a person. How could that change our church? And ultimately, how could that change our community? It doesn't matter really how many buildings we construct. It doesn't matter how many churches we plant. It doesn't even matter how many sermons we preach. If we're not intent on doing everything that we can do so that lost men, women, and children can experience the transforming power uh, of, of the work of God, then we've missed the boat as a, as a New Testament church altogether. In the next few weeks, I'm challenging you to have a name, a person that you're praying for, and a, and a personally uh, committed attempt to reach them with the gospel in the course of this next year. And, and it is my prayer that uh, when we're done today, we'll all adopt the creed, no one left behind. Stand to your feet in honor of God's word this morning. Let's read in 2 Kings chapter 7. I want us to begin in verse number 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. What wonderful options. <laughs> Verse 5. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us, has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore... They arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came, into the, came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid from them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. And they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your holy, inerrant, infallible word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I want to begin by just giving you a little snapshot of the history that provides a context for what we just read. The kingdom of David was passed on to his son Solomon and was known as the kingdom of Israel. However, after Solomon died, there was a civil war, and the kingdom was divided into a southern kingdom known as Judah and a northern kingdom known as Israel. The northern kingdom um, of Israel is what we are reading about today, and it is under siege by the Syrian army. The city of Samaria was surrounded. All supplies had been cut off. They had not been able to get food and the necessities of life into the city. And now all of those resources are, are running thin and they are in dire, dire shape. They were in deep, deep trouble as a matter of fact. The nation was starving to death. And there was no way out, no way to escape. 
They were vastly outnumbered by one of the most powerful armies in the world. Now, they could try flight, but that was impossible. They couldn't outrun them. They were surrounded. They could have tried fight, but again, that was out of the question because the army was entirely too strong. Or they were left with this only option that appeared to be fright. Outside the city walls, however, were four lepers. Now, you recall your Bible history. Uh, lepers, of course, were ostracized from society, and that's why they are on the outside of the gate. They're not inside the city. They are outcasts. And as they surveyed their situation, they realized that they basically uh, had only three options as well. Listen to this again in verse 4. It's kind of depressing. If we say we were into the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. There's one option. And if we sit here, we die also. There's another option. Now, therefore, come let us surrender to the enemy of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. That's their three options. Stay and do nothing and you die. Go into the city and you die. Or we'll take our chances with the Syrians. If they let us live, so be it. If they don't, then we die anyway. So they decided that surrender was the lesser of the three evils. So they get up and make their way to the Syrian camp. And, and they were going to just discover what would decide their, their fate. So they made this unbelievable discovery, however, that is recorded for us in verses 5 through 8 that we just read a moment ago. And this truly, church family, this is an amazing story. God has done both the amazing and the impossible. He had sent an invisible angelic army. And it had caused the Syrian army to flee, leaving behind all the food, leaving behind all the money, all the silver, all the gold, all the clothing, all things this city desperately needed. All of a sudden... These lepers hit the mother load. I mean, there's bling everywhere. Food was everywhere. The, these lepers were now the Fantastic Four. They had literally become instant millionaires. In just a matter of minutes, think about it, they had gone from leprosy now to luxury, from poverty to prosperity. All really, in essence, what was just a, the snap of a finger. They were gorging themselves on food. They were drinking fresh water. They were trying on rings and jewelry of different sorts, wearing new clothes. They never had it so good. Then all of a sudden, a small matter was brought to their mind. What about those captives that are back in the city? What about those that are still under the impression that they are under siege and they're back in the city and they are starving to death? They didn't have fresh water back in the city. They didn't have warm clothes. They, they didn't have abundant food. So were these lepers to hoard it all or were they to keep it from others or were they to tell all and to share? And I think these four lepers had to face three great questions that every follower of Jesus Christ has to face. And I'm going to share those three questions with you in just a moment. For everybody that has experienced and received the riches of God's forgiveness... Grace and eternal life through Jesus Christ. There are three pressing questions. But before I get there, let me just share a little bit about myself. Uh, many of you were here on the Saturday that I came in view of a call and got to hear some of my story. But just give you the, the once-over quick Cliff Notes version. Um, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad didn't know the Lord. Uh, I didn't know anything about church outside of Easter and, and Christmas. I'd never seen it without Easter lilies and poinsettias. I just thought that was the common decor anytime you came to church. And uh, when I was in high school, um, I, I met, uh, well, I met her in kindergarten. I thought she was cute then. She got cuter as time went on. But her name is Julie. 
And uh, I wanted to date Julie. And she said, well, we can't do that. You've got to come church with me. I thought, wow, I've had to do worse to try to get a date, so I guess I'll go to church. <laughs> so I end up going to church with her. And at that time, thanks be to God, by his grace, there was a preaching man in the pulpit of that church uh, every Sunday. And I started to fall under conviction. God started dealing with my heart. And listen to me now, it took a whole other year before I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And when I did that, I want you to understand something. I struck gold. The gold of God's love. The gold of God's mercy. The gold of God's forgiveness. The gold of God's grace. The gold of God's eternal life. I'm telling you, I literally struck gold. Do you remember how it was? You don't ever want to get over getting saved. Do you remember how it was when you finally made the great discovery of eternal life and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ? Remember how someone told you about how you could have all your sins forgiven? How you could receive a place in heaven uh, for your eternity? Remember that? You struck gold. But what about those left behind who have yet to see the jewelry, the food, and the drink? The sad truth is, is that many of us from that moment on gave very little thought anymore to those who are being left behind. In fact, for many, the longer you are a Christian, the less concerned you are for the lost. You, you start to get some distance. By the way, I'm bad to spit when I preach. You go ahead and get used to it. <laughs> if y'all have ever been to SeaWorld in, in Orlando, these rows down here are the splash zone. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. <laughs> I can't help it. It just happens. But the, the more distance you put between your salvation experience, the more and more difficult it becomes for you and I to keep a heart for the loss. We begin to, we begin to go, grow cold to what it's like to have that fresh wave of freedom and forgiveness, forgiveness flush over our soul and to understand the, the wonderful uh, blessing that we have received by knowing Christ. And when that happens and we begin to grow dull to that and we begin to grow desensitized to it, our heart for the loss begins to fade. And what I'm wanting to do this morning, I'm praying the Lord will use me to do, is to arouse those thoughts of compassion and concern for the lost once again. When you make a discovery, here's a good principle. When you make a discovery of something that can benefit others and that others need, with that discovery becomes a responsibility to let others who have not made that discovery know about it so they don't get left behind. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all picking up what I'm throwing down, amen? All right. How many of you can remember, I'm dating myself a little bit, but how many of you can remember lining up years ago, and probably in school, you were lining up and you were in this line and you'd go by and there'd be somebody from the health department there hand you a little cube of sugar. Y'all remember that? It was a polio vaccine, wasn't it? You see, we, we had made a discovery on how to prevent people from getting polio. You know, now, with that discovery came what? A responsibility. It, it, it was a responsibility to, to share that good news with others. Uh, imagine were that withheld. There, there would be paralytics galore, uh, the chronically ill, many deaths for, uh, from a, a variety of other vaccines as well, <clears throat> if those things had not been made available. So what is the result <clears throat> if we don't tell about the gold we've struck in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It's eternal damnation. So here's what I want us to do this morning. Let's consider these three questions. Here are three questions that these lepers had to face 
and that we have to face as followers of Jesus Christ? Three questions we need to ask this morning. Here's the first one. Am I aware of those who are left behind? Am I aware of those who are left behind? We need to go back to chapter 6 to see just how desperate the situation had gotten. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 and 25, and I quote, And it happened after this that Benadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eight shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Now, I'm not sure what all that means, but I think it's bad. Things were so bad that the only thing that they had to eat was donkey head burgers, and they were selling for $50 a piece. And the only thing that they had to put on the burger was dove droppings. Can you imagine going down to the local restaurant and saying to the waiter, yep, give me a donkey head burger, but hold the dove droppings if you would. Things were so bad that they had even resorted at this point to even cannibalism. In 2 Kings 6, verses 28 and 29, Then the king said to her, speaking to a woman, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. Can you imagine? So we boiled my son and ate him, and I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she was hidden. She had hidden her son. Now, I know this is even hard for us to read, is it not? It, it's hard for us even to, to wrap our mind around this in, in terms of, of what we're reading. And I, I want to make a broad jump, though. I want to make a, a little bit of a, spar, a spiritual parallel here and say this morning, however, that, that people are hungry, period. They're, they're starving and they're desperate. Many of them don't know why. So oftentimes that's why they try drugs and alcohol or promiscuity and sex and money. They begin to feed off each other in violence and war and, and rape and murder and all these sorts of things. You see, they do this because they've been eating the wrong food. They, they've been eating the world's donkey head burgers or they have no food at all. And, and the reason this world is hungry today is because there's a famine. And I don't mean just a physical famine, but a spiritual famine. The great St. Augustine said, the heart is restless and it will not find rest until it finds rest in God. Someone asked the late Billy Graham what he thought was the world's greatest social problem. And without hesitation, he said hunger. And I think he's right. It's the greatest social problem uh, facing the world today. But there's a problem. Uh, while I admit there, there's, a, there's a problem with physical hung, hunger, uh, and I don't mean to belittle it or diminish it or, or somehow make it sound less important, I, I do want to say, however, that there's greater problems than even hunger. There's a greater problem than physical hunger. There is the problem of the hunger of the soul. I believe there's a greater famine in the land today. It's a famine that affects every nation in the world. It's a famine that the prophet Amos spoke of when he said that there will be a famine in the land for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. You see, you believe basically one of two things about the world. You believe either that the primary problem of our world is physical in nature and, and therefore can be solved with physical means, or... Like me, you believe that the primary problem of the world is spiritual and can only be solved with spiritual means. Because I submit to you 
that you could feed every person on this earth three square meals a day for the rest of their lives, put a car in every garage, clothes on every back, and it still would not solve the problems of war, rape, murder, violence, and terrorism. Why? Because our problem is ultimately spiritual. And that's the whole problem with social ministry anyway, is all you end up doing is creating a better world for people to go to hell from. You see, we, we want to feed people as a means to a greater end, which is, of course, sharing the gospel. You can go to hell on a full stomach. You know that, right? 2 Kings chapter 6 again, verse 26 and 27. Listen to this. The problem was so great, the king didn't know what to do. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help me, uh, help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord doesn't help you, where can I find help for you? Wow. Wish I... I wish all presidents would say that, all politicians would say that, amen? Ain't it right, Mike? If the Lord don't help us, we're stuck. Even the king recognized that there are some problems that only God can solve. There are some problems in our church and in our community that only God can solve. Now think about the situation that we're studying this morning. Money was of no help. <laughs> they couldn't buy their way out of this situation. They were cut off. Uh, influence was no help. They didn't have any. Government was no help. As a matter of fact, government was kind of the problem in this situation. Education was no help. In fact, the more they learned about their situation, the less they wished they knew. What they needed more than anything else was a word from God and help from God. Are you aware <clears throat> of how bad it is? Are you aware of the people that are going to be left behind? Are you aware of the ones that are around you that are hungry and desperate and need the only thing um, that God can give them, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you realize that behind the doors of the houses in your neighborhood that you drive by every day are people who need the forgiveness of God? Are you aware of the people that sit behind the desk at the place where you work who are living lives of cold desperation? In so many cases, their marriages are falling apart. Children are going to hell. They're lonely. They're desperate. Are you aware that when you walk out on the golf course with your buddies, that even though that their bellies are full and they're laughing and it appears that they're having a good time, that perhaps their hearts are totally empty and they're being left behind and they don't even know it? Think about this tragic truth. When Christ comes back and we go to heaven... Think about all those who will be left behind. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who are you going to reach this next year? Who are you going to be intentionally, purposely pouring into, investing in, forming a relationship to lead to Christ? Are we aware of those left behind, being left behind? Number two, this is where it really starts to get a little bit personal. Do we care about those who are being left behind? You've got to admire the attitude of these four leopards. The leopards, lepers, excuse me. They weren't big cats. They realized that probably any step they took would potentially lead to their death. But they decided to do something no matter what. They, they were saying in a sense, why should we sit here and die? Let's, let's at least do something even if it's the wrong thing. We'd rather die, basically they're saying, we'd rather die doing something than die doing nothing. 
Don't you know that they are grateful? They were grateful for the rest of their lives that they decided to do something. They, they would have missed out on some incredible blessings from God. Um, for the first time in their life, maybe, they, they're living like kings. They're partying like rock stars, man. They, they have stuffed their bellies full of food. Their, their pockets are full of gold. While everybody else around them back in the city is eating donkey head burgers topped with dove droppings. They're eating filet mignon and, and baked potato and apple pie. You say that didn't happen. You can't prove it didn't. <laughs> what does all this have to do with us as followers of Jesus Christ? Think about it. Every single bit and bite of food that they were eating, every little nugget of gold that they might have put in their pocket was all provided by the grace of God. These, these lepers didn't deserve any of this. They had not fought one battle. They had not killed one single soldier. They had not bought one piece of bread. They had not earned a piece of gold. It was all by the grace of God. Every bit of it. And that's exactly the picture of what happens when Christ seeks us, saves us, and sanctifies us. We strike the gold of God's grace. We strike the gold of God's love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. So now these lepers were having a blast. But it got real quiet when they began to think about those left behind in the city. The city has no idea that the Syrian army has left. They have vacated the premises. They're just sitting there afraid, starving to death, freezing, etc. They could, perhaps these lepers now, they, they could hear the cries of the babies for lack of milk. They, they knew children were freezing because of a lack of clothing. They could sense people dying for lack of, a food, uh, lack of food. And now they had more than they could ever eat spend or wear in 10 lifetimes and here's what happened care c-a-r-e care invaded their heart and and they couldn't enjoy what they had knowing that others needed it or they would perish now now hang with me here just a minute folks the the christian life I want to make this statement. The Christian life is a life of joy. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God has given us all things to enjoy. And I'll go ahead and tell you, to, to the best of my ability, I try to enjoy every waking moment that God gives me. Amen? I mean, I want to enjoy everything. I enjoyed the drive-in to church this morning. I have a beautiful drive-in to church. There, I usually see game along the way. If I'm ever late for church, <laughs> you'll know why. Wait for season to come in. But just, I want to enjoy that. I, I, I want to enjoy my, my wife and my family. I, I want to enjoy uh, a pastoring, uh, a local a church, just like Easton Olive Baptist Church. I, I want to enjoy all of it. And I think we... We ascend to bringing a new level of glory to God when we do that. Chief end of man is to enjoy God and bring glory to Him forever. 
But there should be times when we get quiet enough to hear the cries of those who are being left behind. Easter's coming up. Y'all know that. It's about a month away, late in the year this year. Easter's coming up, and we have one of the most convenient opportunities to demonstrate that we are aware of and care for those who are being left behind. Easter is the easiest day on the church calendar to bring a guest to church, which can open up a gospel conversation. Again, I asked you the question, who's your one? Who are you bringing on Easter? Who's coming with you on Easter? Are you aware of those being left behind? And do we care about those being left behind? Number three question is, will we share with those left behind? Being aware and having care is kind of worthless if we don't what? Share? We do realize that this thing called witnessing is a verbal encounter of the gospel now some people say well i'll just witness with my life heard about a man he got a new job and a new factory and he he decided he said you know i'm not going to say anything i'm not going he told his wife i'm not going to say anything about my relationship with the lord jesus i'm just going to let my life do my witnessing for me i'm going to win people to jesus that way so after about three four weeks there maybe a month or so um, one man finally said to him, he said, you know, man, there's just something different about you. I've been watching you. I've been observing you. And there is something distinctly different about you. And the man began to swell with pride on the inside. He thought, it's working. It's working. And the man said, I know something just different about you. He said, are you a vegetarian? <laughs> no. You see, we, we've got to let them know uh, the reason for the hope that's within us, right? It's, it's a verbal witness. I love verse 9. In our text, when these lepers finally say, guys, we are not doing right. It was simple, wasn't it? There's no gray area here. This wasn't situation, situational ethics. I mean, they're, they're saying, what we're doing is not right. <clears throat> Imagine these guys decide to keep all this for themselves. A few more weeks pass by. Finally, the people in the city begin to discover that the Syrians are no longer there, and they begin to, for those who have survived, they begin to wander out, and two of the parents encounter these lepers who are sitting on the mother load of every, all the necessities of life, and they say to them, you know, we lost our two children, and you guys were sitting out here eating the whole time. Why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you share? Why, why didn't you let us know? I think you know where I'm going with all this, right? We're sitting on not just good news, but the best news in the history of the world. News that can make a difference in eternal life and eternal death. It's, it's the difference uh, that can be made whether a person spends eternity in hell or heaven. What are we going to do with that news? What are we going to do with that information? There are many followers of Christ who have this attitude. How can I tell others about Jesus Christ? We're asking the wrong question. How can I not tell others about Jesus Christ we don't hesitate to tell others about our our team that we pull for we we don't hesitate to to say go Vols or go whoever I mean, anybody else anybody pull for Vanderbilt in Tennessee I don't know <laughs> but we don't hesitate to say go Vols well, I don't hesitate to say roll tide I know you would hesitate to say that <laughs> but you know what I'm saying I mean we're out front man 
with, with all these peripheral things, all, all of these spurious things, all of these things of no eternal consequence whatsoever. Sure, it's one of those little things that we can enjoy in this life, a sports team, etc. But But what about things that really matter? I don't care what theological persuasion you're from. If your theology does not cause you to, to care for and share with those who are left behind, you need a new theology. Look at what these men concluded. Now, chapter, nine, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. They realize we can't, we can't keep these blessings to ourselves. We've got to share. Th- these men knew that if they didn't share this good news, it'd catch up with them. They said, if we don't do this, something bad is going to happen to us. That's what it said in the text. In other words, with their, with their discovery came an equal responsibility to share the discovery. And it really even became an accountability for them. The prophet Ezekiel put it very strongly when he said, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life, that same wicked man, man will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now, that's responsibility, isn't it? That's, that's culpability. That's accountability. That you and I are being entrusted to say to the wicked, you need Christ, you need forgiveness. Well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad somebody told me that. Is it hard truth to receive when you're lost? Absolutely. But it's the truth. It's a, it's a confrontation. And, and I know there are those who say, no, we've got to make the, we gotta make the gospel more palatable. We've we got to make the gospel uh, more, you know, more attractive to the lost man. No, it's always going to be an offense. You see, when you have that mentality, what it is, you're, you are factoring out the spirit of the living God. The, the spirit of the living God to grip someone's heart and to draw them to salvation, no matter how offensive the gospel is. We've got to tell them. Let's face it. We're all aware of people all around us who are being left behind. We've got to share with them. How would it change your life if you adopted a no one left behind mentality? How would it change your attitude about your neighbor? You say, I don't like my neighbor. Well, they need Jesus, amen? You might like them more if they had Jesus. How would it change your conversation with coworkers? If you adopted no one left behind. How would it change you in terms of having someone over for dinner to try to, to try to reach them? How would it change your prayer list? How would it change your financial priorities? Who's your one? I don't know how many, how many of you know Jay Strack. Jay is an evangelist. He's done a lot with students over the years. And, um, I heard Jay tell the story about he, he was on a trip in the Middle East, and, and he was trying to witness to an Arab guide. And um, the Arab just wasn't interested in talking about Jesus, but Jay persisted. He didn't give up. He, he just kept telling him, kept kind of just sort of pestering him, you know, with, with the gospel message. And, and finally, the, the Arab guide said, Jay, I, I don't want to hear it anymore. And Jay said, well, I, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm sharing Jesus Christ with you because I love you, and I don't want you to go to heaven. And the Arab didn't say anything for a while, and he finally said, Jay, I apologize. 
He said, I understand that you didn't want to commit the sin of the desert. And Jay said, I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty bad. He said, it is bad. And he persisted to tell him what it was. He said, the sin of the desert is to know where there's water and not tell anyone else about it. You see, many are guilty of this. We know where the water of life is found. We, we know what it takes to quench the thirst of man. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be thirsty in life? I just hate it when I'm in a restaurant and they go ahead and assume that I want alcohol and they'll come and say, here's our drink menu. And I just want to go ahead and say, ma'am, I took a drink 30 years ago and I've never been thirsty again. I don't need that stuff. We don't want to commit the sin of the desert. Tell people where the water of life can be found. No one left behind. Here within the next couple of weeks or so, we're going to have invite cards just everywhere. And I, I, I'll challenge you to, to, to never leave home without an invite card. It'll be a business card size thing, and you can hand them out to the, the waiter at the restaurant. You, you can hand them out to people you encounter in Walmart or whatever. Hey, I just, just want to invite. We have... We are forsaken one of the most simple things in terms of evangelism, just inviting people to church so they can hear the gospel message. But then beyond that, we need to actually share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Easter's coming up, I say it again. The best opportunity of the year to get connected with the lost and the unchurch. Let's partner with God that we might see a great harvest of souls right here at Easton Olive Baptist Church. The Institute for American Church Growth asked 10,000 people, what was responsible for your coming to Christ and to a particular church? Overwhelmingly, 79% stated a friend or relative invited me. Can you imagine? Can it be that simple? It really is that simple. The missing link of personal evangelism is flashing like a neon sign in your conscience right now. Invite, 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 share, share, share. If we don't do that, we essentially devolve into a mutual admiration society where we just sit around in our church and tell everybody how good they are. How good they look in their Sunday clothes while the world all around us is crying out and they need help. They may not know what that help is, but we do. Amen? It's a Aren't you just glad to be saved? It's news so good that you just can't keep it to yourself. Who's your one? You don't have to have them today, but you need to start praying. You need to start thinking. Who's your one? Who are you going to be able to write on that who are you going to be able to write on that line and use this right here for a bookmark in your Bible so that when you're having your quiet time in the morning or your Bible study, there's that name. And you're praying for them. You're lifting them up by name. Here's, here's Susan. Or, or um, here's, here's old Bill. Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through to Bill because Bill's an absolute reprobate. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't want to hear anything about this. Lord, how... Open up a door for me today to share the gospel. I remember years ago, we, um, 
when we first moved to Dothan, Alabama, I served in Dothan for almost 10 years. And uh, we, at that time, before we built a house out in the country, praise God, we were living in, a, in, a, in the city in a subdivision, and we had privacy fence up around our backyard, and so did all the neighbors. And I was out in the backyard one day, and I heard this distinct sound. It sounded like this. It was, said, that guy's shooting a bow over there. And I knew then, I don't know this guy, but I think I just found my connection point. Because this old boy may not want to hear about, he may not want to hear about church, but I ain't ever met a bow hunter that didn't want to talk bow hunting. You know what I'm saying? You've got to find an inlet. You've got to find a way to get connected with people. It's different, isn't it, these days? When I first got in ministry almost 29 years ago, we just we go out and blitz neighborhood, knock on people's doors at 8, 8.30 at night. We didn't think anything about it. Because people just back, you know, that almost 30 years ago, you could just do that. You never knew what you were going to encounter. I, I went up to knock on a, on a door one night, and this sign was literally on the front door. I, I discovered that I had a very stressed out mom in that house because it said, children sleep them, sleeping. You wake them, you take them. <laughs> I thought, well, I ain't knocking on that door. I don't want to take, I got my, my three, I don't want to take any more. It's changing times. We, we can't always go out and do that. Now we're back here in the hills of Tennessee. We get shot if we go up there knocking on somebody's door at 830 at night. It's, I still say the best evangelism is relational evangelism. When you can forge some kind of commonality, some kind of relationship, you're going to have a much, much better opportunity of being able to share the gospel with people. And the only responsibility you and I have is to share the gospel. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not about us coming up with some crafty little scheme to share the gospel in some new way that's going to convince them. No. We share the gospel. God the Holy Spirit does the work of, of drawing and converting. Amen? Who's your one? Let's bow. Thanks for listening to the Easton Ollie Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to go to our website, eastonolly.church, to find more messages like you just heard and to find out how to be more involved at Easton Ollie. If at any point during this message you made a decision to follow Jesus or you would just like more information about Easton Ollie, email info at eastonolly.church. God bless and have a great week.